There's so much that I got from compassion, things that are so dear to me, things that you can never take away from me. And one of the things that I got from compassion was love. My name is Jay Mbiro. I was born in Matare, Nairobi, Kenya. I grew up hungry, and as a little boy, I went to the streets of Nairobi, and I started begging for food and money. It was one day that I begged the whole day, and I didn't have anything. Nobody gave me anything. I saw a woman with a purse, and I actually went ahead and, and took it from them, and I ran. That's when I went to prison at the age of nine. I remember kneeling down in prison and I prayed to God. And I said, God, if you exist, please take me out of this prison. I don't want this life. It was such a blessing to get into compassion. Compassion introduced me to Jesus, and that's why I'm alive right now. Good morning, 11.30, we good? We're, we're cozy in this room this morning. It's awesome to see a full house. Uh, listen, what you just saw on the screen is just a snippet from the story of a guy who's going to be in the house next Sunday all day long in all five gatherings. His name is Jay, and uh, Jay now works for one of our ministry partners, Compassion International. Uh, it's a ministry partner that, uh, that we work through to sponsor children in different places in the world. And when I say sponsor, I mean we give like 38 bucks a month to sponsor a kid, and that money ensures that that child in a third world country receives clean water, healthy food, and education, and most importantly, the chance to hear about Jesus on a weekly basis. So Jay, who's going to be with us, he's a former compassion child. He grew up in Kenya, and because someone sponsored Jay when he was a child, his life has been radically changed by Jesus. So I'm telling you, look, next Sunday is a can't-miss Sunday. You have to be here. If you had plans, change them, be here. Uh, we have five gatherings, so just pick one and show up and, uh, and invite people to join you, okay? This is a great opportunity for you to uh, ask other people to, to, to come to church and just a great way for them to learn more about uh, who we are and what we're doing all over the world. So uh, next Sunday, again, Compassion Sunday, just be in prayer and be in prayer specifically for what God might have you do. We're going to have over 200 child ship sponsor, uh, if I can get that, that's hard to say, child sponsorship packets in the house and, uh, and we're going to challenge you to take a step next week and to sponsor a child somewhere in the world, all right? So be in prayer about that. Well, today we are in week three of a series called Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And the goal of this series is really simple. We are working to undo and to lay to rest certain spiritual myths or false beliefs that many people base their lives upon. And instead, we're learning together what's true from the Bible. And if you haven't been here, I'll kind of give you a couple of examples of the types of spiritual myths that I'm talking about, all right? You ever heard this one, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness? You ever heard somebody say that, like it's from the Bible? Maybe your parents used that one on you growing up to get you to clean your room or to take a shower. Some of the young people in the room are like, what? You told me that was scripture, mom. Like, it's not, okay? Uh, even though it's helpful for us if you show up clean, like, please take a shower, wear deodorant, brush your teeth before showing up. Listen, it's not in the Bible. It's, it's not a biblical idea. I'll give you another one. What, what, about, the, uh, what about this? Uh, God wants me to be happy. You ever heard someone say that? Maybe some of us have said that ourselves. Uh, I, over my years in ministry, I've heard a lot of people use that spiritual myth to justify doing certain things they want to do. 
oftentimes dumb, dangerous things, because in their minds, they think that thing is going to make them happy, and they can't understand why God wouldn't want them to be happy. Now, again, it might sound good and true and fuzzy and warm and nice, but I just want you to understand it's not a biblical idea. Instead, here's what the Bible teaches. It teaches that God cares far more about your holiness than he does your happiness. And some of you know, like I do, that being made holy by God isn't always a happy, pleasant process. Now, let me show you again why it's dangerous to believe spiritual myths like these, okay? I've shown you this the past two Sundays. I'm going to show you again. Good intentions plus bad assumptions always equals dumb decisions. You can be a person in the room who has the best intentions, You can want to do the right thing. You can want to exercise wisdom in all areas of your life. But if you're making life decisions based on bad assumptions or faulty information, it won't be long before you start making some dumb decisions. As I've said the past two Sundays, you'll start holding God to promises he never made. You'll expect things you shouldn't expect. Uh, You might do things that will shipwreck or derail your life. And as a result, you'll experience both heartache and disillusionment. And the goal of this series is simple. We want to help prevent you from going down that road. If you have a Bible, I want you to get it out or a device with a version app on it. You can turn your Bibles on. Uh, I want you to go back to the passage we've been reading the past two Sundays, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read two verses that are foundational for this series. And uh, if you don't have anything with you, then you can follow along with me, okay? 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So according to this passage, the reason that that knowing that book many of you hold in your hands, the book that's sitting on my table over here, is so important is this. So that by being taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness, we might become those complete men of God or complete women of God that he desires us to be, men and women equipped for every good work he wants to use us to accomplish. You see, if you and I fail to know the word of God, and if we fail to apply it to our lives day in and day out, if we fail to recognize those spiritual myths that contradict it, look, we could easily miss out on all that God has for us. And today we're going to talk about how that's true concerning death and eternity. As a pastor, man, I've uh, taken part in my fair share of funerals. And I have to tell you, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that at every funeral I have ever been a part of, I have heard the spiritual myth that we're talking about today come off the lips of some really smart, well-meaning Christian people, regardless of who died and how that person who died lived their life. And I'm sure if you've ever been to a funeral, you've heard this in some version, some form. And I'll go ahead and show it to you. All right, here it is. The myth we're talking about today, that dead people always go to a better place. Regardless of who they were, regardless of how they live, regardless of of what they believe, that dead people always go to a better place. Now look, before we dive into this conversation, um, I want to acknowledge something. This message is probably going to be a tough message for some of us. And I'm going to do my best to be really sensitive while I share what's true, okay? Uh, It's going to be tough, not just for you, but also for me. And here's why. Because like many of you, I have lost people to death that I dearly love, that I, I deeply cared for. And even though I want to believe they're in a better place today, I'm not so sure. I have friends in my life right now that I care for deeply. 
who are awesome people, and in many ways they're trying to live good moral lives. And again, I want to believe that if their life ended today, that they'd end up in a better place, but I'm not so sure. But here's what I want to ask us to do. Look, in spite of how difficult this message might be for some of us, please don't check out on me, okay? There is not a more important message for us to hear today. Look, if this book is true, and Jesus is who he claimed to be, we all have to come to grips with the fact today that not all dead people go to a better place. And I'm convinced that that truth should radically impact and change our lives. Now, the reason people tend to believe otherwise is due in large part to another spiritual myth that exists out there. You're probably familiar with it. Here's what it says. That all paths lead to the same place. You heard that one? There's all these different paths out there that, that lead to God, that lead to eternal life, and you just need to pick one. Like, it doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick one, get on it, try your best, uh, work hard at being a good person, have a sincere belief in whatever it is you choose to believe, and you can feel confident about safely arriving to that place where God is after your life on this earth is over. Look, I just want to tell you the problem with that spiritual myth is this book that I'm holding in my hands. In fact, the very words of Jesus disturb any chance of us basing our lives on that false belief. And I'll explain myself, all right? Look, when you read the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and you hear what Jesus had to say, and look, don't take my word for this. Get your Bible out this week and read it for yourself, all right? And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a free one before you go. Just go to our connection desk and we'll hook you up. But read it for yourself, and here's what you'll find. You'll find time and time again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus warning people of a literal place called hell, a place of eternal suffering and torment prepared by God for the devil and his demons. But it's also a place, according to him, that, that people who reject him, that people who reject God's free offer of salvation made available through him will spend eternity. See, I want you to understand this truth that we're talking about today. It's a heavy one, but it's an important one. And when you keep reading the New Testament scriptures, this is not only true in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but, but also throughout the rest of the New Testament, um, you find exclusive claims about Jesus being the only one able to save people out of hell and into heaven. And today, we're going to look together at, at what's probably the most well-known of Jesus' claims about himself. So if you still have a Bible open, go to John 14 with me. John 14, uh, in this chapter, Jesus is announcing to his disciples that he's getting ready to leave them. He's getting ready to die for the sins of the world, and he's going back to heaven from where he came. And he tells his guys, look, I'm going to go there. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. And he says this to the guys. It's interesting. He says to them, you know the way to get to where I'm going. And one of his disciples, Thomas, speaks up, and he says, Jesus, uh, we don't know where you're going. How in the world are we supposed to know the way? And that's when Jesus makes this very exclusive claim about himself. John 14, 6. Jesus said, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth, and I am the life. Look, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we're going to spend some time just breaking this statement down because I want you to understand truly what Jesus claimed about himself. All right, first thing is this. He called himself the way. Uh, that word way in this passage, it's a Greek word that literally means road or pathway. And so Jesus is, is saying to his disciples, look, I am the road or the pathway that leads to the place where God is. That's a very different comment than what we often hear in our world today, isn't it? 
I mean, understand, Jesus didn't gather his guys together and say to them, uh, guys, a lot of paths out there to get to where I'm going. Just pick one. I, I hope that you choose mine because you're my boys. We've been together for three years. But, but if you don't choose mine, just choose one. You'll be fine, and, and we'll see you whenever your life is over. That's not what he says. Instead, he says to his guys, you want to get to heaven? You want to get to that place where I'm going? Do you want to be with God, your Father, for the rest of eternity? Do you want to be free of suffering and despair? I'm the way. I'm the only way to get to where I'm going. He also says that he's the truth. Uh, Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 with me, if you will. The disciple John is writing about Jesus in these verses, and he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So John here, he's writing about the eternal divine nature of Jesus Christ. Like, I don't know uh, what you believe walking in the door today, what your religious background is like, but look, I want you to understand, according to John, Jesus, he's the eternal Son of God. He's always existed, and he calls Jesus the Word. That's the Greek word logos, and it means divine self-expression or speech. So here's the way to think about it, all right? Uh, You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's the divine expression of God in this world. That's what John's saying. You want to know how God loves? Look at how Jesus loves. You want to know how kind God is? Look at how kind Jesus is. Do you want to know how God feels about grace and mercy? Well, look at how Jesus feels about grace and mercy. Do you want to know how Jesus feels about religion? Or or how God, I'm sorry, feels about religion? Look at how Jesus felt about religion. You get where I'm going, right? If you want to know what God is like, pick this book up. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus shows you what he's like. And why? Because he's God. And he came into this world to give us a picture of who God is. This is why later in John 14, you find Jesus getting really frustrated with one of his disciples, Philip. Philip says to Jesus in verse 8, Jesus, show us the Father. He wants some type of God appearance. And I love Jesus' response. He basically says, Philip, you kidding me, bro? We've been together this whole time. You still don't know who I am. How in the world can you say, show us the Father? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want a God appearance? Open your eyes. I'm standing right here in front of you. It is so important for us to understand this about Jesus, especially in the midst of a world that just kind of makes up their ideas about God as they go. You see, in claiming to be the truth, Jesus doesn't give us that option. When he makes this statement, he is literally claiming to be uh, the only truth about the God of the universe. He's saying to us that, that other truths about God don't exist, that he's it. And then lastly, he says that he's the life. Uh, go back with me to John 1, verses 3 and 4. We're going to keep reading. John goes on and says this, All things were made through him, and that him, again, is Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. And him was life, and the life was the light of men. So here's the proof that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. First, John says that Jesus is the giver of all physical life. Right? He's not a created being. Jesus is creator. Not anything that was made was made without him. He was with God. He was God in the beginning of time, playing a part in creation. And then secondly, John says that Jesus, he's not only the giver of physical life, he's also the giver of spiritual life. Whenever Jesus showed up to the earth, he brought with him that life that was the light of men, that life that men had been desperately needing and waiting for, spiritual, eternal life. And when Jesus calls himself the life in John 14, 6, this is all he's saying. He's saying to his disciples, don't forget, guys, uh, the only reason you're living, moving, and breathing today 
is because of me. Right? We've got to understand the only reason any of us even exist is because Jesus thought of us. And he made us. And he also reminds his guys, the only reason any of you have the hope of eternal life after your lives on this earth is over is because of me. And the same is true for us today. He is the life, the only one who can give us new and eternal life with God. So let's talk about the dangers, if we can, of refusing to believe those exclusive claims of Jesus and instead believing that dead people always go to a better place. If you take notes, you can write this down. I'm going to give you three things. First, when you believe that spiritual myth, you cheapen the cross. You cheapen the cross. In Galatians 2.21, Paul says it this way. He says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Jesus died for no reason. In other words, if you and I could be people good enough for God, if we could follow enough rules, come to church enough, if there was anything we could do to earn our way to God and into his eternal kingdom, then the death of Jesus Christ was an utter waste. And look, here's what's so interesting to me about all the other paths out there that lead, or that claim to lead to God, excuse me. That's what they suggest. They suggest that you can make your way to God on your own. That you don't need to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ if you want to get to where God is one day. But I, I just want us to remember what the Bible teaches about the cross. The Bible teaches that because every single one of us in the room today, including this guy on the stage, are sinful people deserving of hell. People who are unable to do anything on our own to save ourselves from that eternal reality. That out of his great love for us 2,000 years ago, Jesus wrapped himself in flesh and he came to live among us. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. It was for us he took the nails. It was for us he was beaten. It was for us he wore the crown of thorns. It was for us that he was beaten and, and mocked and spit upon. For us, he hung on that cross for six hellish hours with our sin on his back, allowing God the Father to punish him in our place so that he'd never have to punish us. Jesus literally went through hell at the cross so that you and I would never have to know what hell is like. And the Bible teaches that it's only by trusting in Jesus' sacrifice at the cross that we can be saved from eternal hell and know God and have the hope of spending eternity with him in heaven one day. Now look. When you refuse to believe that, here's what you do. You cheapen the very cross that you should be cherishing. You treat the cross like it doesn't matter. This amazing sacrifice that should leave us in awe and wonder every waking moment of our lives becomes an insignificant act in your eyes, undeserving of your faith and devotion. And can I just tell you, look, I, I want to say this because I love you. I really do. I want you to know that the Bible teaches for those that cheapen the cross and refuse to believe, when those people die, they don't go to a better place. We can't cheapen what Christ has done for us. But the second danger of believing the spiritual myth that we're talking about today is this. You undercut obedience. You undercut obedience. Uh, this past week I was reading the story of the famous gangster, Mickey Cohen. Maybe some of you guys have seen the movie that came out about him not long ago. But uh, the story was this. At some point in Mickey Cohen's life, he showed up to a Billy Graham crusade. And he actually walked the aisle during the response time, prayed a prayer, put his faith in Jesus. Now, not long after that, one of Billy Graham's associates sat down with Mickey Cohen and explained to him that because he knew Jesus now, he needed to leave his gangster lifestyle behind. No more killing people, no more selling drugs, no more corrupt business deals. 
Well, at this point, Mickey got offended and he said to Billy Graham's guy, no one told me that I'd have to leave my life behind by putting my faith in Jesus. Now look, that's an extreme example, but it represents a false belief that still exists in our world today, which is this. The belief that you can pray a prayer to stay out of hell, but then live like hell and still be confident of arriving safely in heaven one day. And can I just tell you again, because I love you and I care for you, the problem with that belief is this book that I'm holding my hands. For example, 1 John 2, 4 says it this way. The person who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. Look, the New Testament is full of verses like that. And they tell us that we can't ever assume that giving God a simple nod and then living however we want is enough to get us into heaven one day. Now, please hear what I'm not suggesting, all right? I am not suggesting that salvation and eternal life is Jesus plus something. I'm not suggesting that if you want to gain heaven one day, that you have to put your faith in Jesus uh, and do a bunch of good works. That's not what I'm suggesting. Are you with me? What I'm suggesting is what the Bible teaches. That if you're truly saved by God, that good works and a desire for obedience should follow. James in James chapter 2 says that, that saving faith always leads to good works. Here's what I want to say. Look, if you're that person, like at seven years old, you prayed a prayer because you didn't want to go to hell, but nothing's ever changed in your life, and there's no real desire in you to live in obedience to God or to do life his way, all I'm saying is you've got a big question to wrestle with today, and the question is simple. Did God really save me? Do I really know him? I would encourage you to do what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. And if you think you are, but you're not, I'm just praying God would show that to you today. But the last danger of believing the spiritual myth is this. You live without urgency. You live without urgency. Think about this with me. If dead people always go to a better place, regardless of who they were, how they lived, what they believed, now what is the point of sharing Jesus with people like their eternities depend on it? What's the point in our church like giving money uh, to get the gospel to places like Burkina Faso where there are people who've never heard the name of Jesus before? What's the point of us as Christ's followers getting on our knees and begging God to save our friends and family members who desperately need to know the Jesus we know? What's the point of you going into those places where you live, work, and play every day to live out the Great Commission? Well, I, I want to answer the question for you. If dead people always go to a better place, those things are pointless. It's meaningless to share Jesus with others with a great sense of urgency. And I just want to tell you, doing so could even make us look arrogant, as if our way to God was somehow better than all the others. This is why the spiritual myth is so dangerous. It absolutely kills any sense of urgency that should define our lives as followers of Christ. So knowing these things would be true, what's the smart thing to believe? Like if dead people always go to a better place, isn't biblical, isn't right, what is biblical and what is right? Well, let me show you what we need to believe. All right, here it is. It's real simple. Dead people who know Jesus go to a better place. That's the biblical thing. That's the right thing, the true thing. Dead people who know Jesus go to a better place. Now, if you're the person who walked in the room today, uh, you're a skeptic, this whole church Jesus Bible thing's new to you, maybe you think it's dumb and you're ready to roll so you can get free lunch, right? Um, I just want to say, first off, we're glad you're here. But you might be asking yourself this question, James, why should I believe that, man? Why should I believe what you have on the screens? Well, well, here's why the answer is really simple. We should believe this 
because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I would just remind us, look, Jesus is the only person in history who has ever died, stayed dead three days, and then come back to life just as he predicted he would. I don't know about you, but I tend to believe if a guy can predict his own death and resurrection and then he pulls it off, we might want to pay attention to what he has to say about himself, particularly his ability to save us from death and hell. Look, you can choose whatever path you want. You can choose your own path. You can choose the path of of another world religion. I'm just telling you, none of the other paths have a guy waiting at the end who proves stronger than death. I'm going to go with the dead guy who came back to life. That's why we should believe it. Now, how should this truth affect and impact our lives? Not only what we believe, but how we live each day. Well, the answer to that question really differs depending on who you are in the room. And I want to start by talking to those of us who claim to be Christ followers, okay? Look, I would assume that probably the majority of us in the room today who are Christians, you know what I'm preaching. Like, this is not a new message to you. Like, you probably are thinking right now, dang, I should have stayed home today. I could have watched this one online. I already know all this. But here's what I want to ask you, okay? I don't want to ask you for the next few minutes, do you believe this theologically? Because I'm sure you do. What I want to ask you to wrestle with is this, do you believe this, this truth practically? Because if you believe it practically, it should impact your life in some significant ways. And I want to show you what believing it practically means, all right? When you believe that it's only dead people who know Jesus that go to a better place... You start to shine your light brightly in this dark world in which you find yourself. And, and I'll talk about what that means, okay? Uh, recently, I was reading the story of Gandhi, this great man who lived in India, servant-hearted guy, uh, really impactful life in that part of the world. And uh, the part of the story I was reading was this. Apparently, at some point in his life, he got out a Bible, and he read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the story of Jesus. And Gandhi was so amazed and enthralled by Jesus that one particular Sunday, he decided to go to a Christian church in Calcutta, India. Well, when he showed up to this church, he was turned away, rejected. And the reason he was rejected was, was because that particular church was designed for white people or people in a high caste group. And, and because he didn't fit the bill, he was turned away. And this particular story is where that famous Gandhi quote was born out of, I would be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. And here's the sad reality. Too oftentimes, people in our lives who are far from God use that same excuse. They look at the lives of those who claim to be Christ's followers, yet their lives look nothing like the Jesus they say they know, and that's their excuse to reject or deny Jesus. And, and I just want to say, maybe that's your deal here. I mean, maybe you walked in today, and that's the only reason you haven't bought in this Jesus thing. And I would say, you know what? You have an explanation. Don't use it as, as an excuse but who can really blame people at the end of the day? I mean, if our lives haven't really been changed by the Jesus we say we know, how can we expect people to believe that it's real and it's true? This is why it's so important for us to take seriously living the life that Christ has called us to live by the power of his spirit that is alive in us. Look with me in Matthew five sixteen, if you will. I want you to see what Jesus says on this point. He says to his disciples, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So with this statement, Jesus is communicating our life's purpose as his followers, as his disciples. He's saying that that we should let our light shine so brightly. Another way to think about it is this, that we should live a life that looks so much like his life through the power of his spirit that lives in us that other people start to see our good works. 
They see our obedience. They see the life change. And they don't start giving us all the praise and credit. But instead, they start to glorify our Father who's in heaven. They start looking at us and going, how in the world can a person love like that? How can a person serve like that? How in the world can they be so humble, so kind, so gracious, so giving, so sacrificial? And because they know you, they know it ain't you. They know something else has got to be going on inside of you. And they start going, wow, maybe something to this whole Jesus thing is is right. Maybe what they're saying is actually true. That's the goal of our lives. Can I ask you this question? Are you striving to live that life each day? Are you striving to live a life that looks so much like the life of Jesus that other people don't see you, but they see him alive in you? That's our purpose as Christ followers, no matter where we find ourselves. If you're taking notes, write this down. The goal of your life is to live a life that looks so much like Jesus that unbelievers start to doubt their unbelief. The goal of your life is to live a life that looks so much like Jesus that unbelievers start to doubt their unbelief. Do you believe it practically? And are you living it out by shining your light brightly? Uh, The second thing that happens when you believe this truth that we're talking about, uh, uh, about today practically is this. You start to pursue others relentlessly. So here's the question. Um, if you believe, say you believe, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to get to the Father, are you pursuing other people like you actually believe is true? Look at me. Are you sharing Jesus with people like their eternities depend on it? I, I want to say this as your pastor, and it probably is a little hard, but again, I'm saying it because I care. I want to remind us that talk is cheap. Like we can come in on Sundays all we want, sing songs about Jesus, say yes to him being the only way to God. But if we don't leave these gatherings after Sundays and run out into that dark world to proclaim Jesus as the one who's the only way to the God who who loves people enough to save them from sin, death, and hell, then look at me, what we do in here on Sundays doesn't matter much. Like, if we're not busy telling those people in our lives that there's a God who loves them more than they can comprehend and that Jesus is the way to that God, look, we are missing out on our life's purpose and we are not loving people well. If you've ever wondered why God didn't just save you and suck you up into the sky, this is it. He's left us here to help people find their way back to him. And loving people well means opening our mouths and sharing the news of the Jesus that we know. Look, I... I, sure that probably somebody is at least thinking right now, well, James, let me tell you why I can't do this or why I haven't done this. Because we all have excuses right at times, even me. Maybe some of us, we'd say, well, James, I I don't know if I can do it, bro. I'm just busy, man. I get up like six in the morning, work all day, come home, eat dinner, have enough time to watch a little TV. I'm in the bed and I'll do it again the next day. I'm just busy. Can we just all agree that if the God of the universe wasn't too busy to leave heaven and pursue us, that we should never be too busy to pursue people? We have to make time for this. It's that important. Maybe some of us would, uh, would say this. Well, well James, sharing Jesus uh, with others makes me a little awkward, makes me feel awkward, makes me feel a little uncomfortable. You know what amazes me about the disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts? They thought that getting the good news of Jesus to the world was so important and so urgent that they laid their very lives down doing so. And what's crazy is that we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today that are still doing that very thing. Here, here, let, let, me, let me help us. Can we just agree to do this, all right? Can we just agree that if all we have to deal with in sharing Jesus is a little awkwardness, feeling a little uncomfortable, can we agree as a church family to just suck it up, get over it, and share anyway? 
Can we do that? What about this excuse? Well, James, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I have what it takes, man. Can I just remind you that if you're a follower of Jesus, and I hope this encourages you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have more than what it takes. You have the very Holy Spirit of God living inside of your body. In Acts 1-8, Jesus said this to his disciples. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You have all that it takes to share Christ boldly and courageously with a lost and dying world. I think the reason some of us at times don't feel like we have what it takes to, to live out the Jesus mission is because we play it safe. We don't live each day and pursue others each day like we actually need the Holy Spirit to come through for us. But look at me, if you share and pursue and live like you need him, here's the great news, he always comes through. He'll give you the words you need, the courage you need, the power you need, the compassion you need to be the person God's called you to be and to share the good news with people who need to share it. Can we commit to be a church that lives each day like we actually need the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of our bodies? Now look, as we get ready to close, let me just talk to those of us in the room who may have walked in uh, without knowing Jesus. We don't have a relationship with him, never trusted in him. What is this truth about dead people uh, going to a better place who, who only know Jesus? Those are the only ones. Here's what it means for you. It means that you have to trust Jesus immediately. Like today, like right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not 10 years from now, now. I mean, here's the honest truth. Every single one of us in this room, oh, we're gonna die one day. You know that. It's coming. None of us know when it's coming, but all of us are headed there. Death rate, one out of one. All of us are facing death. And whenever that moment comes for us, man, we are going to stand face to face with the God who created us. And the only thing that will matter in that moment is what we did with Jesus while we were here. See, the Bible teaches that if we accepted him as our Savior and Lord, that God will accept us into heaven, into his eternal kingdom as loved sons and daughters. The Bible also teaches that if we rejected Jesus while we were here, that on that day, God will reject us. He'll send us away from him outside of his presence to spend eternity in that place called hell. And the decision I'm asking you to make today, if you've never made a decision to trust Jesus, is simple, man. Are you going to reject him? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to trust him or are you going to deny him? The thing that you can't do is remain neutral. Like, James, I'm not going to make a decision. You have to make a decision on Jesus because of who he claimed to be. You have to decide if he truly is the way, the truth, and the life, the only one who can get you to the Father, or if Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, and a con man. He's got to be one or the other, but you have to decide. Look, before I ask you to decide, here, here's what I want to say, all right? Please hear this. I, I want you to know the goal of this message today is not to scare you out of hell. Please hear that. I grew up in, in an old school kind of legalistic church, and anytime messages like this were preached, it was all hellfire, brimstone, hell's hot, it's forever, you don't want to go there, do you? Pray this prayer. I'm not trying to scare you out of hell today. I once heard a pastor say that heaven isn't a place for those afraid of hell, it's a place for those who love Jesus. I want to help you choose Jesus today. I'm not asking you to choose all of Jesus' stuff and to leave him out of the decision. Heaven isn't heaven if Jesus isn't there. So I'm asking you today to say yes to Jesus in response to who he is and what he's done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. And if you need to say yes to him, I want to help you do it right now. Will you just join me in prayer, heads bowed, eyes closed all over the room?
I say this all the time in moments like these, but this prayer, we're getting ready to pray together. This is not a magic prayer. Prayer doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. I'm not getting ready to impart anything to you. All I want to do is help you in this moment to say yes to Jesus. Look, I'd remind you God loves you more than you could ever understand. Regardless of who you've been, the mistakes you've made, how you lived your life. If you're that person that thought the building was going to burn down when you walked in it today, God loves you in spite of you. And he's proven that through his son Jesus. It is not your job to fix your life. It is not your job to clean yourself up before coming back to God. He wants you to come to him just as you are. And he promises to do all the fixing and all the cleaning. If you need to say yes to Jesus right now as your Savior, as the way to God, as the way to heaven, then just say something like this in prayer. Say, God, I know I'm a sinful person. God, I know my sin has kept me from you. But God, I believe that you loved me enough to send your son Jesus into this world to live the life I couldn't live to die the death that I deserved. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days later to conquer sin, death, and hell for me. God, I'm saying yes to Jesus today as my Savior, as my Lord, as the way to you, as the one who, who, who shows what's true about you, as the only one who can give me new and eternal life. God, would you take my life and make me a new person? Give me the hope of eternity with you one day. God, I say yes to Jesus. in the quietness of this moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed with me, I want to ask you to do something, if you will. Uh, I'm not going to call you out, call you forward, do anything awkward, but if you just pray with me, will you just look at me really quick? Just look up at me. Look, if you prayed and said yes to Jesus, I want to ask you to take a simple step before you go, all right? Nothing weird, not going to keep you here and have some awkward conversation. There's a card and a seat back somewhere around you. It's a connection card. Will you grab one of those, fill out that top portion and check that box that says, today I pray to receive Jesus as my Savior. Man, I just want you to leave that with us so we can pray for you. After you go today, celebrate what God's done in your life. And we also have a gift we want to give you. Some free resources that are going to help you get started in your new relationship with Christ. People are looking at me all over this room. So please take that step before you go today. And I'll remind you again before we leave on how to do it, okay? God, thank you for these people that are looking at me right now for what you've done in their lives. And I'm just praying, give them the courage they need uh, to just fill out a simple card before they go today. And God, I pray that, uh, that you just encourage them through your spirit right now, God. Um, just help them to understand, even in this moment, God, your great love for them. Lord, in the next few moments as we respond to you, we just continue to work in our hearts and lives in ways that only you can. God, we love you, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.